Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Well, everyone, welcome back to a very exciting episode of the Storybox podcast. Today, my friends, I'm delighted to welcome someone who I have been following and seeing a lot of his content online for quite some time. He is a very smart individual, and you're going to hear more about his incredible story very shortly. His name is CJ Pearson. Now, for those of you that some, somehow don't know who he is, what I'm going to do instead of me gushing all about him, and I, I feel like the best thing for me to do is to ask CJ to explain to you guys who he is and exactly what he does. I feel like that would be best. So CJ, my friend, can you please take it away? Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you today. Uh, you know, for me, you know, my story starts actually in the state of Georgia, where I grew up. I had a town called Augusta, which some of your listeners may be familiar with because of the Masters Tournament and being the birthplace of James Brown. I'm not known for much more outside of that. But, you know, it, it was great growing up there where I was raised by my grandparents and um, had a pretty, you know, normal upbringing. Uh, my grandfather, he served 20 years in the military. So I was surrounded um, by someone who loved this country. I would grow up seeing all of his medals and, uh, you know, all of his memorabilia from his service and all of those things. And so from a very early age, I knew that America was a great country. And that was something that was certainly, you know, taught to me. Uh, you know, and as I grew up, actually, you know, ha- you know, by happenstance, got involved in politics. It, and the catalyst for that was actually in the second grade. Uh, my second grade teacher, Mrs. Best, actually uh, assigned for us to do a mock election where we had to do what every good citizen in the country was doing at the time. We were going to have to watch these debates and we we're going to have to decide who we wanted to be the next president of the United States. And of course, at that time, it was the 2008 presidential election. So the candidates were uh, then-Senator John McCain and then-Senator Barack Obama. And I remember, you know, sitting on my, you know, grandmother's bedroom floor and watching CNN, that debate between those two individuals and saying, 
you know, I don't know what this is about, but I knew that it was important, you know, because again, you know, set the stage a little bit here. I was six or seven years old. Obviously, I had no idea what healthcare reform was, what Iran was, or what Obamacare even meant. Um, but I knew that obviously the way that they were talking, the way that they carried themselves, uh, meant that they were talking about something that was very, very important. And I, you know, looked at the way that my grandmother was watching this debate, it mattered. And I, and I knew that they were having an impact on the world around them. And even at that young of an age, I knew that I wanted to have a similar impact one day as well. And so, you know, following that, it really became a journey of education and also of self-discovery. You know, I wanted to figure out, you know, where did I actually stand, you know, on the in the political aisle? You know, was I a conservative? Was I a Democrat? And I went into it with little to any preconceived notions. I, you know, I knew that my grandparents obviously felt some type of way about the election, you know, because when I actually cast my vote in that second grade mock election, uh, I voted for John McCain. And when I came home uh, later that day and I told my grandmother who I voted for, she looked me in my eye and she said, you must think that you're white. And obviously little CJ had no clue what that meant or what um, she was really pointing to. But now I know that it was this preconceived notion that unfortunately exists in our society today, that the color of one's skin should dictate their politics. Um, but outside of that, I had no idea where I was, where I stood on the issues. But so after that, I watched tons of YouTube videos. I watched CNN. I watched MSNBC, which I still really haven't found a way to recover from. And I just <laughs> wanted to figure out where I stood on the issues. Was I conservative? Was I progressive? And the more and more I learned about conservatism, I realized that this is exactly how my grandparents raised me. They raised me to be fiscally conservative. They raised me to be, you know, a person of faith, someone who loves family, cherishes it, values it. Um, and conservatism was just uh, an easy decision for me to make. And so after that, you know, I, I sort of got involved in the campaign world. Uh, before I did commentary, I, you know, was knocking on doors, making phone calls in the sweltering Georgia heat. And, you know, that was the, my beginning in the campaign world. And then I made a YouTube video when I was 12 years old, kind of going after Obama and kind of his feckless leadership at the time in, in terms of his approach and uh, strategy to defeat ISIS. And the video went viral. And since then, it's almost a decade later, which seems kind of crazy to think that I've been doing it for so long. But it's been the journey of a lifetime. I went to the University of Alabama uh, and had a normal college experience, had the time of my life, roll tide. Um, but for me, I lost a little bit of fire, I realized, while I was there. You know, it's very easy to go to college, grow complacent, um, especially about the world around you when not a lot of people your age are really focused on what's going on uh, in the world. But then I realized, I think I just had a moment where I, where I thought to myself, that the, you know, we are living in a time again that Reagan likened to a time for choosing where we have to decide what type of nation we wish to be. And when I think about that, I knew that it was time for me to get back in the fight. And thankfully I've had the opportunity to join PragerU, uh, moved my entire life to Los Angeles, California, which is a place I never thought I would live um, for obvious reasons. Uh, but it's been an incredible journey and it's great to wake up every single day and have the opportunity to reach young people and to not just focus on preaching to the choir, but also to do the work to grow the congregation. Uh, because I think that that's the way the conservatives went. 
Uh, we don't win by just talking to people that already agree with us. You know, they're already converted. They're already, you know, chanting what we chant and all those things. That's not how we save America or the Western or, or the West as a whole. The way we do it is by reaching the people who have not yet been reached or reaching the people who have been led astray. Because I think, and the way that I approach this is a similar way to I, I approach my faith. Um, you know, Jesus wasn't able to save more people by just spreading the good news. The people already believed it. He had to go talk to the people who did it. Uh, and so I'm, I'm proud that's kind of the, the ethos of what we do here at PragerU. It's our North Star. It's our guiding light. And it's been an incredible thing to be a part of. Well, it's great to have you here, man, honestly. And there's a lot there that you said that we can sort of journey into and unpack a yeah. little bit for our for our listeners and viewers. Uh, how old are you, firstly? The people know? I'm 20. You're 20 years old, man. Yeah. I'm 26. You're a Gen Z. I'm a millennial. Mm. Just made it into like the last year of millennials, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> even though millennials is, isn't that much better than Gen Z, is, even though it's a little bit better. It seems to get worse and worse, you know. It, it Who knows what this next one will tell. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but um you're you're incredibly young, but you're also really smart. And I think I can attribute that to how you were raised primarily, but also your intellect as well. Like you're a very curious-minded person. Would that be correct in in assuming? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's exactly correct. You know, I grew up, you know, reading as as many books as I could get my hands on. I was watching the news when I was just a little kid. Uh, seven years old, never really have quite stopped. Now, well, actually, no, I don't have cable anymore, but I still am quite the news junkie. I host a news show here at PragerU called The Wrap Up. And so uh, I still have a really big um, love for all of that. But no, you're, you're exactly right. I've always had a really big curiosity about the world and, and, and how it operates. And, and I think that if you have that curiosity, you're just always looking for answers. And for me, it was found in books. It was found in, you know, watching the news. And again, like I said, it wasn't necessarily a pretty common thing I would be doing at, at the age that I was, but um, I don't know. It brought me so much value, brought me so much joy. And I've always enjoyed kind of just being informed, which, which sounds like crazy, but I think once you actually get into the real world, you realize there are a lot of people who are okay with not being informed, that it's actually kind of a virtue to want to be, which is, you know, an indictment upon um, society today, of course, but I don't know, a, a little unique and, and more unique, you know, with every passing day, it seems. Very much like you, I've grown up being enormously curious about many different things. I grew up in, I guess you could call it a very conservative Christian household, and I was taught from the Bible, I was raised on books. I always had my head in a book reading something. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the best wisdom and advice is often found in books. Yeah. Uh, and as well as going out and asking people weird, wonderful and random questions, which I used to do. And it, it would oftentimes annoy the living daylights out of some people. But yeah. I'm thankful that they helped foster that in me. And my grandpa, my grandfather and my grandmother were both massive influences on my life as well. And I wanted to dive into that in your story because it seems like it's really similar. Like they raised you and I don't know how comfortable you are in talking about why was it them that raised you? What happened to your, your parents? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So my, my mom had me when she was around 18, obviously was not in much of a position to raise a child. And my grandparents, you know, realized that. And so they stepped in and it's something that I'm an enormously um, grateful for. And like I said, they gave me a life that I otherwise would not have had um, where I never wanted for anything. I was always 
you know, kind of told that if I wanted to achieve something in this world, as long as I worked hard and played by the rules, I absolutely could. Uh, and was raised as an only child as well. And so um, I, I definitely uh, relate a lot to what you were saying about always asking questions and all of those things. Uh, I think why was always my favorite question. Uh, and so I would always pester them with that. You know, why do you think this? Why do you think that? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? Um, just always really naturally inquisitive. But, you know, to your point, yeah, they played a very, very large role in my upbringing. And I think my values today, which is ironic because they still are reliable, loyal supporters of the Democrat Party. But the thing about that is, is that their values have always been conservative. You know, similar to you, I grew up, you know, going to church every single Sunday, going to Bible study in the middle of the week on Wednesdays, um, having my nose in the Bible. That was something that was expected of me. It was something that they drilled into me. And, And also, too, when I think about my childhood, one of the biggest memories that I can really think of are the family gatherings that we would have. That was, there was always an emphasis on the community of family and the fact that we should always be there for one another. And so what's interesting about that, which is why, you know, I think people often, you know, find it interesting when I say, Oh, my parents are Democrat. They're like, then how did you turn out the way that you did? I think it's in large part because of the fact that I thankfully got involved in politics from a very young age. And so I didn't go into it with these blinders on that or this or this or or had been yet gaslit into believing that the color of my skin should dictate my politics. I had never been told that. And so I was able to just look at the facts, look at my values, look at my principles that I had been given by my grandparents and say, okay, well, it looks like the conservatives really share a lot of my viewpoints. They share a lot of what I believe in. And so, um, that was kind of, I, I really credit, you know, give a lot of credit to my grandparents for my journey to conservatism, even though I'm sure they wish that I probably uh, would vote a little differently sometimes. <laughs> They've tried to convince you to go over yeah. to the Democratic Party a number of times. All the time. Oh my God. When I was first growing up, it was so interesting. They really thought it was a phase, you know? Um, and and funny story <laughs> about that. Right. Yeah. And look where we are now. Um, but funny story about that YouTube video that I mentioned um, in the intro is that, you know, I didn't, I did not tell them that I was making this YouTube video. I'd gotten a camcorder for Christmas and I was like, okay, like everyone has a YouTube channel. I'm going to make a YouTube video um, about this particular incident that happened. And what had happened was is Rudy Giuliani, who of course was the former mayor of New York and uh, U.S. attorney, he had made a comment saying that President Obama didn't love America. And of course, the media reacted in the way that we would all expect them to do so. They called him a racist. They called him a bigot. All of these things, just the same old tired narrative that they continue to spew even today, a decade later. Um, I, I saw that video and I was like, hey, this is absolutely absurd. Like, are you saying that he can't criticize Obama because he's black. So are we going to go through an entire presidency not being able to say that this man is is being a feckless leader in terms of comb- and combating what he described as the JV team that was ISIS? Uh, I think that was absurd. And so I you know, woke up one morning, uh, made a YouTube video and a little white T-shirt when I was 12 years old and threw it on YouTube. I didn't expect you to get any views. I didn't have a YouTube channel at the time, um, but the video went absolutely viral. And so... Uh, what was funny about that video, though, is that my grandparents loved to hate watch Sean Hannity. And so they would always have it kind of rolling in the background and and, and whatever else. And so one day, uh, you know, shortly after this video went viral, Sean is, you know, is, is moving on to the next segment. He says, you know, up next, we have a 12 year old uh, who goes viral in a fiery rant against Barack Obama. <laughs> 
And that 12 year old was well me. And so, you know, my grandparents look at the TV, absolutely aghast. And I just hear my grandpa screaming from upstairs, CJ, get up here, get up here. And um, he's like, you know, how can you talk about the first black president like this? How dare you? Blah, blah, blah. You need to delete this video. Um, and thankfully for me, you know, my grandparents weren't the most technologically savvy people. So I told them I deleted the video, um, but you guys can still go watch the video on YouTube because it was never deleted. So um and, you know, it's worked out pretty well. So we're, we're here. <laughs> do, they, do they know today that the video is still there? Yeah, they do. And and now they know that they can also go watch me make more rants like that at PragerU. And they can also go watch Fox News now and see me there. So uh, it's a full circle moment. But it, it's one of those things, too, that I feel like as I grew up, they just sort of realized, you know, Politics shouldn't be as divisive as it is. You know, I think at the end of the day, we all agree about we want to make America better. We, we but we just have very different ways on how to get there and how to navigate that. Um, and I think that my parents and my, my grandparents made a very mature choice to actually just say, you know, we're not going to allow politics to drive a wedge between me and you know the the only kid that they raised, right? And so, um. I think that was a very mature decision they made. And then, you know, as I've gotten older, they're just kind of like, okay, we still disagree with you, but we love you and we love what you're doing. And we love that, you know, that you're choosing to make an impact uh, in the best way that you see fit, you know, because I could be doing a lot of worse things, which I would frequently remind them growing up. I was like, okay, there are a lot worse things I could be than a conservative. I could be dealing drugs for, you know, goodness sake. Like, do you really think that that's, you know, you know, worse than me? dishing out fentanyl on the streets. And so I think they slowly realize, you know, CJ, he's found his passion. He's doing great stuff. Uh, and they've been definitely encouraging since then. So uh, I'm thankful for that from them. It would seem as if in today's society, words have somehow become more dangerous than fentanyl, believe it or not. Like that yeah. for me is just an absurd kind of analogy to even try and describe, but that is the reality of the situation and people on op opposite ends of the political so spectrum, I guess you could say, they're always attacking one another. It's always just like, if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican, God help you. It's like, yeah. you can't have a proper conversation with anyone. And it's always amazed me as to, it never used to be like this. I mean, yeah. people would be able to have a debate with their neighbor over certain political issues, but they'd still be able to be friends. Now yeah. it's like you avoid them like the plague. And it's like, what is going on with society? How have we gotten to this point that you can't yeah. have a proper conversation with someone if they disagree with you politically? Yeah. And I'm curious, no, that's, that's why, why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, that's so real. And, you know, one thing that I also too will give credit to my grandparents for and, and, and that fact in my upbringing is that I actually really am glad that they had different political beliefs than me because it really, number one, made me a better advocate for what I believe in. Um, because I had, I was doing a lot of convincing or at least attempting to get events, um, growing up, but also too, it, it required me to know how to have conversations with people that I don't always agree with, um, which unfortunately seems to be kind of a lost um, skill these days. Uh, at the end of the day, I think that the reason that we're seeing the intolerance that, that we do is because of the proliferation of cancel culture. Now you can get canceled for simply telling the truth or, or, or things that were merely facts just a few years ago are now bigoted or racist or sexist or 
anti, you know, whatever community of people that, you know, is the hot community of the week. And it's absolutely insane. I think what we're seeing here today is that there isn't, there's a war on truth. And, And like you said, there are people who think that words are violence, that speech is violence. And I don't think that's what America was ever intended to be. Uh, You know, freedom of speech was a cornerstone of American democracy. Uh, But now what we see today is that people are willing to subvert it all just because it it may hurt their feelings, which is absolutely absurd to me. You look at sort of like the founding fathers and saying, like, everyone has a right to freedom of speech that is fundamental to our humanity as well as a thriving society. And now it's as if people are trying to remove that because they get so offended. And I've always wondered, like, if you go back to the founding fathers in their time period, like you can almost think to yourself, well, do you think that they didn't have people that were saying somehow offensive things in their time to them even, but that they didn't agree with them necessarily? I mean, like even creating the Declaration of Independence. I don't know necessarily know the entire history about it, but I know there was controversy around it a great deal. Yeah. And they still went ahead and did it. And yeah. in the face of all that, they still came out and said that everyone should have a right of freedom of speech. You remove that from society, it becomes conditioned speech, and we no longer become a democratic society. It becomes all about this totalitarian communist sort of way of living. And I don't want to be there at all. Yeah, no, it's an absolutely scary reality, but it's what we're marching towards. If the left gets their way, you know, it's crazy reading about stories in in Canada um, where they're saying that you could face like law enforcement action for misgendering someone or not using their proper pronouns. It's absolutely insane. And the thing about those stories is that it's very easy in other countries to be like, oh, this is never going to come for me. This is never going to affect us. Uh, Well, oftentimes it does. You know, what we're seeing in Canada is probably just a dry run. If you don't think that there are people in the United States or in other places in Australia um, that agree with some of that nonsense, then you're absolutely, you know, oblivious to the reality of the world in which we live in today. Um, but, you know, but as you said, when it came to the founding of America, freedom of speech was not just the cornerstone of American democracy. It was the foundation of American democracy. You know, our founding fathers, while they agreed that America needed to be a free place, um, they also disagreed about the way to make it free and how to, you know, create a society that would thrive as long as it has um, today, a country that would thrive as long as it had. And so, and and we and we saw that through the entire Federalist debate, you know, the Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists, the people who believe that there should be an actual Bill of Rights and those who thought that, well, the Constitution is clear enough that these freedoms are just there. And then there were other folks like James Madison who was like, no, we need to spell this out. We, it needs to be actually clear that there is freedom of speech, that there's freedom of religion, that there's freedom of expression and all of these things, that there's a right to bear arms. And so vigorous debate has always been a part of our way of life, and it's always been conducive to very, very good things. You know, imagine if there wasn't any debate allowed around, you know, the Bill of Rights or any of these things that have, you know, come about, you know, we would be a less free society today. Uh, But unfortunately, I think that we have just given way to just an absolute crazy generation of snowflakes who are willing to just censor and banish any type of speech that hurts their feelings. And I'm sorry, but that's not how the real world operates and nor is it how it should. Mm, I totally agree with you on that on that point, man. Like you made so many important points in that uh, 
in yeah that that uh how do I say that uh, explanation? There we go. wasn't really clicking for me a second ago. Uh, yeah. But here in Australia, right, we've got in Queensland, I think it's also in the other states too. So we've got these ministers for women, right? And these these ministers for women, A, don't even know what a woman is. They can't really define the term. And yeah. the Queensland one, believe it or not, here in Queensland, Australia, Next year, they are going to classify the definition of what is a woman, an adult human female, as being discrimination towards people that, as we know, the transgender community. You won't be allowed to say it because if you do, you'll be either arrested or you can be charged for it. Believe it or not, for saying something that is in the stinking dictionary. Right, (laughs) right. No, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And what also boggles my mind about this, and this is related to that, is that these people try to make us seem like we're the weird ones. Like we're not normal. Like we're radical. These people are single-handedly trying to redefine truth, mm-hmm. redefine the biological definition of what a woman is. And, and also beyond that, the fact that they can't even answer the question, what is a woman? just should expose the absurdity of everything else that they say. Like, if you can't tell me what a woman is, I don't want to have a conversation with you. You're, you are not intellectually honest enough for me to even conversate with about anything. If you can't just reckon with the fact that a woman is someone with two X chromosomes and is able to reproduce and, and, and all those things. Like, why is that so hard to say today? Um, and, and it's scary because it's like, if they're willing to not even acknowledge, like, what is a woman, like, what are they also not willing or, or what are they also willing to not acknowledge? Right. Yeah. Like, it, cause it doesn't stop here. It really doesn't stop here. We, we, we get into this thing where we, where I feel like at a time, like a few years ago, we would hear stories like jazz Jennings. Um, you know, the, the girl, uh, who had the TLC reality show who was transitioning when she was a little kid. Um, I think she was. 11 or 12 years old when she first got our show. Right. And I think people like looked at the story from like a human interest perspective. They were like, Oh, this is like wild to watch. Like I can't believe a little kid's doing this, but Mm -hmm. you know, this is pretty rare. This will never be mainstream. This will never happen. There's not really anything to make a huge fuss about. Um, Well, now that we see this has become very, very mainstream. And so, you know, the thing is, you know, Maya Angelou is a great quote. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And I think that's what we absolutely need to do if we're going to save this country and save Western civilization and also save the innocence of children, right? These people are very clear about what their plans are for all of the world. Uh, and it's not just, you know, it may not be in your neighborhood today, but it sure as hell may be in your neighborhood tomorrow if you're not vigilant. And if you don't actually stand up and fight, uh, because it's absolutely absurd what's happening here. And I think that, uh, but I, but I think that it's important um, that people realize that we can still win. Right. But we have to be very clear about the threat that lies ahead of us. And thankfully enough, like I said, they are very, very clear and open uh, about what their plans for America are, what their plans for all the world is. Um, so let's just listen to them and fight back accordingly. You brought up an interesting point about how, the other side sees us as crazy because we're yeah. now not progressive like them. We're not mm-hmm. all inclusive like them. We actually appreciate a child's innocence. We actually go yeah. along with science and biology and they're trying to remove it from the very fabric of existence and say, no, the truth is hateful. 
they're going against everything that was considered to be sane and now creating this asylum whereby the insane is now in positions of power. And that yeah. to me is not, not good <laughs> at all. Yeah. And I agree yeah. with you. I don't want to have a conversation with someone that doesn't know the definition of what is a woman. I mean, in Australia, we had our prime minister interviewed by Piers Morgan. Our prime minister said, what is a woman? And the funny thing is, an actual woman, biologically speaking, doesn't know what a real woman is, is afraid to say it because apparently she's afraid to offend certain people. And then she's also going against what the prime minister actually said. Right. <laughs> so it makes zero sense whatsoever. And I've, I'm just yeah. trying to work out in my mind, like this is happening so fast, enormously yeah. fast. And I'm just like, hang on a minute. We need to take a step back here and really start evaluating what we're doing because we're ruining society as we know it. Like, let's yeah. stop. <laughs> no, that's, that's so real. And that's been one of the interesting things for me looking at this entire debate is that it really has happened so fast. Like I graduated high school in 2020, which was, you know, just three years ago, not long ago at all. And none of this stuff was in schools when I was in school, right? There was no pride parades in the middle of the school day. There were no, you know, furries or anything like that. There was none of this nonsense that was happening in, in, in when I was in school. And it's happened so fast. And it really is genuinely scary because... You know, we were kind of joking about it earlier. You know, millennials are bad. Gen Z was worse. What the hell is coming after this? Right. Yeah. It makes you wonder. Um, gives you some nightmares, low key, to be honest with you. But I think it's, um, you know, yeah, it, it is very, very scary. Uh, and I think, though, that I think though that the left is overplaying their hand in a, in a very big way, though. I think that when I talk to a lot of my friends who are politically apathetic, who don't really, you know, lean one way or another. Um, when I talk to them about like just these issues, like whether or not biological men should compete against women in women's sports or whether or not biological men should be able to join female only organizations like sororities, they're like, no, like, why would that ever be allowed? Why would that be permissible? And so I think that some of these issues will actually red pill um, a lot of folks that the left isn't really actually thinking about because, you know, if you're really trying to be, or, or they've always marketed themselves as pro women, this pro women, that now they're absolutely trying to remove the uniqueness of being a woman and mm -hmm. just saying that it's the same thing as just putting on some costume and saying, well, you know, I feel like a girl today so I can be a girl, despite the fact that they'll never have to go through a menstrual cycle that they'll never have to give birth or go through labor. None of those things they'll ever have to endure. But because they say, oh, I feel like a girl it has to be accepted, it has to be OK. I think a lot of women are very upset about that and rightfully so. I think it's amazing to me that we're even having it shouldn't even be a debate, to be honest with you. But right. The fact that we're even having this conversation is absolutely insane, which is like, yes. this is why I say we need to declare a war on weird. Like, it, yeah. I mean, we need to be, we need to call things weird again. I think that we've gotten to this place where we are so afraid to just call things weird and bizarre. And it doesn't need to be like some, you know, hyper intellectual word. The, the things that are happening, to be quite frank, excuse my language here, this shit is weird, right? <laughs> this idea that you are having children, you know, transitioning their gender, the fact that you're having children say that they're furries and going around their lunchrooms and barking like dogs, the fact that you're having, you know, satanic 
designers designing entire lines of children's clothing for Target. Like this shit is weird. And I think the more that we label it weird, the more people will start to say like, why am I going along with this? Why am I, you know, going along for the ride with all this nonsense? Because there is a reason that stigma exists, right? Stigma is actually an important way, I think, to mediate human behavior. Because if there's a stigma around something, you typically don't do it, or at least you hide it when you do. And we've removed stigma from society today. Now we just think that everything is just, you know, honky-dory, go do what you want, go do as you please. And we don't have like any like standard anymore, which is absolutely insane. And we've seen the consequences of that. Uh, and I think it's it's not been any clearer than when I started seeing the word maps popularized recently, which is, you know, of course, shorthand for minor attracted persons. No, 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 no. There is no such thing as a minor attracted person. That person is a pedophile, like point blank period, no room for debate. Mm. I'm not having it. That person is a pedophile. But what the left often does. And these people are on the left. This isn't me being a partisan or anything like that. There's only one group of people going around saying minor attracted persons around here. Um, they change these, this language. And so they remove taboo. Pedophile is taboo as it should be. Why do you like little kids? You are a weirdo. You are absolutely ridiculous. You're sick. But a minor attracted person sounds a little like, oh, hmm, you know, but Normal. it's disgusting. It is still disgusting. It is still wrong. Um, and which is why I think we we also have to be very intentional about our language. We need to stigmatize what is what deserves to be stigmatized. And we also need to realize that if you have to normalize something in the world, then that's kind of an acknowledgement that it wasn't normal to begin with. And just a matter of fact, you don't have to look too far, like in our history books, to see what happened to other civilizations that went down this particular path, and. Yeah. More happened to them it didn't end well for them but somehow we've got in in our brains for a certain group of people that it should be normalized to allow sexual explicit pedophilic behaviors of adults that is purely disgusting and should not be allowed in society somehow we've said no it's totally fine for you to do that and guess what we're going to change the language that sounds a little bit more light-hearted on your actions. So we're going to call you a minor attracted person. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Someone that is minor attracted, someone that's attracted to minors. Yeah. How do you distinguish between that being a good thing at all? Yeah. It's not yeah. a good thing. And those people yeah. that are on a level playing field of common sense and decency, see what's happened, CJ, is we've removed values, removed moral morality out of the equation there yeah. uh, we've reduced men to that of being simps and going, <laughs> you can't speak out or say a thing because yeah. you do your toxic masculinity. No, yeah. we don't have any of that. Yeah. That's one of the things that I've noticed. So we've removed men from the equation to be able to speak up and have their say. Now they're going, you know, live and let live kind of deal. Do whatever yeah. you want to do. But yeah. at that cost, it comes with everyone else in society going, well, we can't say anything now because we've given them the freedom to do whatever the hell they want to do, including pedophiles. I mean, yeah. I had a video taken down because I showcased and I had a massive rant over how the left had allowed these people to 
be in positions where they could sexually abuse kids. I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, how how is that right and acceptable? It's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's absolutely crazy. And I think, you know, going back to what I said earlier, if you think it stops with the absurd, the most absurd thing today, then it absolutely doesn't. It's only going to get more downhill from now uh, unless we have a renaissance of exactly what you're talking about or, or a reemergence of, again, those values that actually made the world sane once upon a time. And uh, and the fact that you literally had a video taken down because you were criticizing pedophiles is a very, very depressing, but unsurprising sign of the times that we live in. Yeah. Um, like, and, and also too, let's think about it as well. Like, you know, there right now, if you go on YouTube and you talk about transgender issues, or if you misgender someone or you dead name or whatever the hell they call it um, to a transgender person, your video will likely get a strike. It will likely get removed. If they're already starting to do that with pedophiles in 2023, I can't imagine, you know, what's to come. Yeah, man. I got my entire show demonetized. So the story box got demonetized and almost got deplatformed on YouTube, mainly because apparently I had dead named somebody and yeah. I've been unkind. It was considered to be hate speech for some reason. And I'm just That's going, this is nuts. Like, right. how do you consider something that was once labeled as sane to now be insane, but you can't say that it's insane? Yeah. Because you'll be labeled as hateful and yeah. everything else that goes along with that. And I'm just like, how do you navigate this world properly? How do you yeah. toe the line between good and evil because evil has now become good and good has now become evil. Like how do you navigate this kind of world? And I'm, I'm 26, man, you're 20. So from your perspective as a young person, how have you been able to navigate this world at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is really important because I think this is probably the thing that I'm often asked the most by people, you know, my age, your age as well as, you know, as you go through these predominantly liberal institutions, whether it's academia, whether it's higher education, whether it's now increasingly corporate, the corporate America and in corporate world, um, it's getting more and more woke every single day. How do you inoculate yourself um, from all of that nonsense? Well, I think you've got to cling to truth. Uh, I think that's Mm -hmm. the most important thing that I could really recommend to anyone. You've got to cling to truth and you've got to know why you believe what you believe uh, so that you're able to defend it. And I think that if you have a steady foundation, um, a sturdy foundation, in in those ideals, you're going to be absolutely fine. And I think that also too, courage is contagious. And so what I always say is, you know, when when uh, college kids reach out to me, I'm like, hey, like, don't be afraid to raise your hand in the lecture hall. You know, if you hear your leftist professor, you know, spreading some misinformation that's absolutely wrong, absolutely false, and just deriding you for what you believe in, raise your hand and push back. Because I guarantee you that there is also someone else in that lecture hall who probably feels the same way as you, but is also having that same bit of trepidation. You know, they're just a little mm. afraid because this person has a PhD behind their name. You know, they're holier than thou. But if you raise your hand, maybe that person will raise their hand the next day. And then maybe that other person will raise their hand the next day. And I think, and again, it goes back to the fact that courage is contagious. So be courageous. Um, but again, also realize that we have truth on our side. We have a luxury in, in, in that fact, right? We don't have to just depend solely on emotion and um, and just, just a lack of reasonableness to win arguments or debates. We have the truth on our side, our, our, our arguments, our 
our ideas, our values, our beliefs, they are supported by fact. And I think that sometimes conservatives forget that. And so we feel the need to do the most or to back down when we don't need to and all of these things. No, when the truth is on your side, wield it, use it, and never let it go. Uh, and so that would be my best advice. Be courageous because so many more people agree with you than you obviously, than you could ever imagine. There's so many people who do. Um, but also to realize that you have a lot more in your ammunition um, than the left will ever have. They may be able to cry and manipulate and gaslight folks, but you don't have to do that. And there's a virtue in that. And there's a virtue in believing in something that doesn't require you to have to do any of those things as well. Mm, well said, man. I call this day and age, the age of victims and uh, the oppressed generation. Yeah. They're all yeah. they think that they're oppressed for whatever reason. They're just looking for some excuse to be a victim and blame, not take personal responsibility, which is a biblical term. I'll have yeah. you know. And then there are just people out there that are allowing these people to to just do all these crazy things in society and get away with it. It's almost like they become a protective class at the yeah. moment, which is sad to see. It really is. And I I have a great deal of sympathy for a lot of the young kids that are up against this, that don't fall fall in line or go along with it, but they're the ones that do end up speaking out and speaking up. I mean, I was yeah. in university here in Australia in 2019, just before the pandemic hit, and I was in a critical thinking class. It wasn't really critical thinking, CJ. Yeah, I was going to ask you, was there much critical thinking going on in that class? The one person in the class, in the lecture hall, so we were asked whether or not, and it was interesting too, because just before the pandemic, we were asked whether or not people should get vaccinated. Like, is that like mandated, that kind of deal? And one person Everyone, there were 700 people in in attendance, like a massive lecture. One person bravely put up her hand and started sharing a story about how she's not going to get vaccinated, mainly because her brother got vaccinated as a child and he had a adverse reaction and he ended up becoming disabled as a result of those vaccines. And CJ, man, I kid you not, all the people in attendance just started railing on this poor girl. You're wrong. You're hateful. You're like, I just couldn't believe it. Um, And then the, the lecturer was just allowing it to occur. Yeah. Going, how is this supposed to be critical thinking when you're actually attacking the person that is freely thinking based on an experience that she has had Yeah, going along with the mainstream, the one that I think really starts looking at, the world for how it really is, they're the critical thinkers because they're looking at how and why, not just, yeah. I'm going to tell you what to think. And that's it. That's yeah. it's dangerous. Yeah. I you know there was once upon, once upon a time, there were universities and colleges that were more focused on teaching kids, you know, how to think and not what to think. And unfortunately we've had a very, very, um, huge departure from that. But, you know, you know, as you said, critical thinking, is almost, uh, again, it's one of those other lost crafts uh, in, in the world today. The ability to ask questions and to challenge narratives. Uh, I, I think it's so interesting because what we saw during the pandemic, and it's such a great example because I think it was a the catalyst for a lot of people waking up and changing their minds about 
probably long held opinions that they've always had um, was that in the beginning, everyone was very fearful, right? So everyone was kind of willing to go with whatever the government was saying. They were like, okay, we need to shelter inside. Let's do it. You know, we need to flatten the curve. Let's do it. We are, you know, we want to take care of our grandparents. We want to make sure that they, you know, live, you know, through this and all of these things. So people were very okay with giving up a large amount of their freedom. But then we realized the goalpost kept moving, right? That it was Mm -hmm. going to, first it was two weeks and then it was flattening the curve. Then it wasn't flattening the curve anymore. Then it was like, we got to wait until there's a vaccine and the vaccine came. Then they were like, you still need to wear a mask and all this stuff. And it was just lie after lie after lie after lie. And eventually you have to realize, wait, then what else did they lie about? Right. And and I think that that's the thing. It's like, you can't go through COVID for me as a critical thinker, not say like, this is dangerous. Like Mm. giving that much freedom up, that much Liberty up. And also just like, again, like finding comfort in ignorance and just being like, okay, like if Dr. Fauci says so, then I don't have to, it's whatever it is, what it is, is absolutely crazy. And I think that's why we see, um, why the left does so well is because they've 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 made people think that asking questions and challenging authority somehow is a bad thing. When I, I don't think it, it absolutely isn't. America wouldn't be America; would never exist if we didn't have people around who were willing to buck up to power and fight back. So, um, you know, you're you're so right. Critical thinking it definitely is it's a scarcity in the world today, and it's almost non-existent on college campuses today. That's for sure. Which is incredibly sad to and scary. This is the next generation of leaders, right? Like the fact that like that entire generation is going through, um, you know, university. And, and as you said, what's I think even more glaring about that, that story that you just said is the teacher just watched it happen. Didn't say, Hey, let's have some gore rolls for discussion. You know, let's let her, you know, respond to what you're saying. And you respond to what she says in a civil fashion. No, I'm going to let her, I'm going to let her be yelled at and let her be talked down to because, you know, she agreed with what they were doing. Mm. You know, she may not have said it, but she would not have allowed that to happen if she didn't agree with what they were doing. Um, And it's truly unfortunate. Um, Truly unfortunate. That was just one of the so-called controversial questions that was raised in that critical thinking lecture. Mm-hmm. So the other one was here in Australia, we've got Australia Day. You guys have got uh, Independence Day, I believe it is, or the 4th of July. You've got so many yeah. days you celebrate being American and patriotism and all that sort of stuff. We've got Australia Day, right? Yeah. And there's this group of people that want to change the date to... Mm-hmm. Whatever other date, mainly they call it Invasion Day, believe it or not. And Invasion Day, Invasion Day. So basically, Captain Cook arrived, and the first thing that he did when he got off the boat, saw an Aboriginal, and decided to invade Australia, (laughs) which I think is just absolutely absurd. But uh, there are those people out there that will try and say that we invaded all the indigenous people on Australia. And, uh, you know, we were asked the question, should we change the date? And again, there were two to three people in that lecture hall that mm-hmm. said that we shouldn't change the date. And I should have spoken up. I, I wasn't courageous enough back then to be able to do it. I should have. Mm-hmm. And neither was I necessarily well informed enough back then. And, uh, Here's my thing. It doesn't necessarily matter if you change the date or not. We still got to have a day 
to celebrate our independence of being Australians. Like it's a good thing to be an Australian, to celebrate yeah. that, to celebrate different cultures being in Australia. And we're not savages. We're not like attacking people on, on the streets. Times have changed and that was a sign of progress. It doesn't yeah. matter if you change the date or not. It's still, if you change the date, it's like not going to change the meaning behind it. Yeah. So you've got to exactly. change the meaning behind yeah. why we celebrate. And I made the point as to why we celebrate the day. And I'm going a little bit long, CJ, so sorry about this. Mm -hmm. But when you change the date, I don't believe for one second that it's going to help change the meaning. The meaning behind it yeah. is as Australians, we celebrate being an Australian. We celebrate the vast majority of cultures here. I don't think one Australian is celebrating Australia Day as being an invasion. I don't think yeah. one person is celebrating anyone that, that died or apparently the ones that were killed all the way yeah. back then. I don't think they're celebrating racism or anything like that. Yeah. That's yeah, you know, no one is. And I've seen that like on 4th of July too. There are people who try to propagate the same the same falsehood about America that, you know, if you're celebrating the 4th of July, you're obviously celebrating how racist America is, how sexist America is, all this absolutely just ridiculous nonsense. And, you know, again, it just, it, it it's, it's just genuinely sad because it's, you know, our nationality, our patriotism is the thing that actually brings us all together, right? Like, yeah. White, black, Asian, yellow, whatever. You can be an American. You can be an Australian. It doesn't matter. Um, as long as you believe in the same country that I do and the same values that come with it, we are all in the same group of people. Um, there is nothing more inclusive than that, ironically enough, right? And mm. for them to, you know, want to tear down history and tear down things because they think that it's uh, worth the battle is is ridiculous. And it's also very superficial. Um, because, you know, we have that, you know, bow in America where you have people who want to tear down all these Confederate statues and all these things or whatever. And regardless of your opinion on whether or not they should be up or not, do you, does anyone genuinely think that, oh, if we take down the statue of George Wallace, who is the, you know, famous segregationist, um, who is a governor of Alabama is, is that going to solve racism tomorrow? No, it absolutely isn't. So why are we kidding ourselves? Why are we joking? Like, come on, let's just, let's actually focus on things that will really bring us together instead of virtue signaling because we're bored. You were on, I believe, is it a vice panel? Yeah. Yeah. You're on the vice panel and you were talking about, was it racism? Yeah. Would you be able to explain to the audience what went on with that? Yeah. So that vice had me on for a panel. We were talking about a little bit about the, the panel was actually about education, but then we started talking about critical race theory and race and whether that has any place in schools today. And, you know, and my uh, argument throughout that entire panel was that I think that it is actually more racist to tell a black child that regardless of how hard they work, how hard they try and try and try, they will never be able to be successful in America because of the color of their skin. Imagine telling a child that, right? That regardless of if they work hard, it doesn't actually matter. So they actually probably shouldn't work hard because it's not like anything's going to come of it, that they're always going to be held down because they're black. Yeah, imagine if someone had told Barack Obama that or George Washington Carver that or MLK that or Rosa Parks that or any famous black person that, that 
their the color of their skin would always hold them down. So many successes, not only in the black community, but in the larger world would not have been possible. Um, and I think critical race theory is disgusting because it literally tells young black kids that they have a ceiling and the ceiling is actually relatively low. And it tells white kids that they are so gifted, so great, so smart, so intelligent that they can be anything and do anything. But their black, their black counterparts, their black peers, no, they got to apologize to them because of how great they are. That is actual racism. That is the soft bigotry of low expectations. And that is absolutely more reprehensible um, than anything else that I've ever really witnessed, you know, in the education system. And so I think it was, it was interesting having that conversation, having that debate, because I think it's necessary. Um, but again, I think that it's, it, we have to be mindful of what we're teaching, you know, America's young people or, or any young people anywhere, um, because these are America, the next generation of leaders, you know, for, for our country here in America. And what does it, again, we should be teaching them messages of hope, messages of hope, not of despair, not of destitution, not of poverty, um, and not of hopelessness. Right. Um, and that's not what CRT is. And that's never what it has been. You went viral for that one particular clip. Mm -hmm. I, I saw it. I believe I shared it. Uh, to my socials. Uh, I thought it was yeah. a powerful message to actually send to people. And I couldn't believe the other side with their argument. Yeah. Really make too much sense. <laughs> uh, right. Like, it just felt they like typically they typically don't. They typically like, don't. <laughs> no. And I was just like, here's this young, young guy. I didn't know how old you were at the time, man. This young guy. And he's literally owning, using logic, facts, reason, and history to. Yeah basically do something that the other side didn't do. <laughs> yeah. Explain properly and make sense yeah. while you're at it. Like yeah. these people, yeah, go on, man. Yeah, no, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Conservatives, we have a lot more going for us than we think. We have the truth on our side. We have logic on our side. We have reason on our side. All the left has is this emotional manipulation game. And when you call BS on it, they have nothing else beyond that, right? If you refuse to be swayed by their little attempt to, you know, game your emotions and game how you feel, they have nothing else in their toolbox. So it's easy to expose them. And I think that was pretty clear. That vice clip is that, you know, he, I'll just say he, he didn't have much to say after, after what I said about that. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. The very idea that America is systemically a racist place mm -hmm. that goes Wow, like every single institution, every single person within that institution, like the foundations, everything yeah. part of America, yeah. no, systemically racist. I don't know how you can even try and explain that it's systemically racist. Yeah. Doesn't work. Well, it's because it's because we have this glorification of victimhood. Everyone's looking yeah. for someone to blame or something to blame um, for their life not working out the way that they think that it should be or, you know, it not being as easy as it should be in their eyes or whatever else. And so we create these make-believe things that are just uh, a racist little boogeyman that we can blame. Uh, doesn't make it true. Um, but again, it's just yet another delusion of the left. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, to, to argue in 2023, that systemic racism is keeping black people down and we need to blame the white man for this and that or whatever else. is just absolutely absurd. It's, and just frankly, it's dishonest. Um, but that's all they traffic in. So be quite frank again, not surprised.
I miss the old days, man. There were rather simpler times, believe it or not. There were. There were. Yeah, yeah. you know, my my grandpa never had to worry about, you know, when he when he was going out, you know, looking to meet a girl. If uh, you know, I wonder, I wonder what this one is. And I tell him, you know, you really had it easy. You really had it easy. Yeah, nowadays it's like, ah, uh, is she uh is she a right? Right. You're like, <laughs> you're like, oh, why do you have pronouns in your bio? Is there a re- is there another reason? Or like when when yeah. I see the pronouns, man, I'm just like, nah, I can't. Sorry. Yeah, I'm like, I'm good. Like I, I you know, I like crazy. I unfortunately it's it's an affliction um for me, but not that crazy. I can't do that crazy. Not, not that me crazy. either. Not sorry. I, I have my limits, man. I have my boundaries. Right. I can't cross them. Uh, exactly, okay, man. I've I've really enjoyed this conversation immensely, and I want to echo the point you made earlier about actually speaking to people that disagree with you. Otherwise, you just live yeah. in this echo chamber, and I don't yeah. think that is necessarily a good thing. I had someone on the show not that long ago that was saying the criminal justice system is systemically racist, and I challenged that person on as to why that person believes that it is somehow systemically racist, and. Uh, you know, I think it's a good thing to be able to question and challenge in the right way and do it respectfully. And, yeah. and, you know, there are a lot of things that I agree with what you've said today. And I just mm-hmm. want to say thank you so much for, I mean, just being courageous enough to actually say them and, you know, continuing to do all these wonderful things in the world with PragerU being on Fox. So I guess what's next for you, man? You know, it, we'll we'll see. You know, it's definitely it's definitely God's plan. You know, I think that America is the greatest country in the world, but it's not great by accident. And I think that if we're going to get serious about redirecting uh, the path that America is on, then we have to all get on the front lines of the fight. And I've got to tell you, that's where. I like to be. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I don't want to be in the back. I want to be on the front lines fighting um, to uh, save a country that has given so much to me in so many ways. And so whatever capacity I can do that in, it's definitely what I'm eager to do, what I'm excited to do. So I'm going to keep doing that. But um, the fight's not over yet. I understand that it's very easy to lose hope. Um, But as long as we remember how great times used to be, let that be your North Star. Let that be the reason you fight. Um, Because I don't think that the story of America, the story of the West has been written yet. It's not done. And I think that uh, we should keep fighting, keep going for it. Um, At the end of the day, I have a stake in that fight. Why? I'm 20 years old and I have a good bit of time around here left. Uh, You know, God willing, of course. And so um, this isn't a fight that I get to walk away from. And and it definitely won't be one that I choose to walk away from either. Well, man, you got a supporter here in Australia. And thank you, man. Many, many others. Yeah, man. Like, honestly, I, I just applaud your your courageous manner. I really do. It's inspiring to see a 20 year old and it gives me hope, you know, that it's not all bad. (laughs) It's not all all bad out there. So for sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much, man. It's been great. I love, thanks for having me. You're more than welcome, man. Love to have another conversation with you at uh, at another later time. There's so many more things that we can actually discuss. Believe it. (laughs) So thank you for for joining me on the Storybox podcast today. Good to see you.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 